If God appeared to you and held your hands, what would God's message to you be? Or in other words, what is the most loving perspective you can have for your circumstances right now? Remember, whatever the message is, God's saying it with a smile. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. This week, Curtis and I dive into Act One of our first ever spirit story. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose shares three gems of wisdom about the Lord's love for us and how we can share in that love. Then we travel to Easter of 1744, when Swedenborg had a life-altering transformative experience of seeing and being held by the Lord this week in history. And to make our weekly goodbye easier, we're going to end it with a song. A spirit story. So for this segment of the podcast, we're going to be going on adventures in the spiritual world with Swedenborg and Curtis Childs. Hey, Curtis Childs. Yeah, I feel like I'm back in my reading rainbow watching days. (laughs) Yes, yes, radio adventures. And so these are his actual experiences and uh, and actually, we did that listener survey, and one of the things people recommended, which I thought was such a great idea, is hearing more about the spirits that Swedenborg met. So I thought, what a better way than to than to actually dive into these um, memorable occurrences, as he calls them, which are really chapters or sections in his books where he lays out these whole sort of amazing adventures he seems to go on, and uh, and they can be long but so they're but they're so rich and full of interesting information and so they're perfect for us exploring and going sort of firsthand into it along with him as sort of a preparatory note for all of these uh here's what Swedenborg says about his own experiences and this is in uh, true christianity 851 where he says i foresee that many people who read the accounts of memorable occurrences that follow the chapters are going to believe that I fabricated them out of my own imagination. How did but he know I, that? I know. I know. He, of course. So of course he really was talking to God. If he could know, people would think he didn't really see this. <laughs> people are not going to believe it. But I assert in truth that they were not made up. I truly saw and heard those things, and I did not hear or see them when my mind was in some sleepy state. I was in a state of full wakefulness. So Officer. there he goes. Yeah. And... And these stories also have a purpose. And so he goes on and says, The Lord chose to manifest himself to me and assign me the task of presenting the teachings that will be part of his new church, which is meant by the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. For this purpose, he opened the inner levels of my mind or spirit, which allowed me to be in the spiritual world with angels and at the same time in the physical world with people. This has gone on for 27 years now. Who in the Christian world would have known anything about heaven or hell if the Lord had not chosen to open the sight of someone's spirit and show and teach that person about them. So that's what we're going to get to do is go on these spirit story adventures along with Swedenborg and learn about heaven and hell and think about what we find. So good to see that there's a a long, proud tradition of Swedenborgian material having to hedge and say, look, I, I know this sounds crazy because we do this on our YouTube channel as well. And there's Swedenborg. <laughs> right. 
doing it in his own books. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And so now we will go on this adventure in which a newly arrived spirit finds himself in the spiritual world and wants to know about heaven or hell. So are you ready? Ready. All right. Act one. Here we go. So the Swedenborg's own words. On one occasion, I had a conversation with a recently arrived spirit. While in the world, he had meditated a great deal on heaven and hell. And Swedenborg even inserts this little note. Recently arrived spirits mean people who have recently died. They are called spirits because they are then human beings who are spiritual rather than physical in nature. Check. Yes. As soon as he came into the spiritual world, he resumed meditating on heaven and hell. When he thought about heaven, he felt happy. When he thought about hell, he felt sad. There's a classic, the yeah. life, life follows us. You have a spirit. He, he points out when this person was a person, he was all about thinking about heaven and hell, got across that threshold into the spiritual world, started thinking about heaven and hell again. Your life follows you. Yes. And even so much so that it can take a little bit to catch up with, you know, wait, I died. So here's because he says when he realized that he was actually in the spiritual world, he immediately asked, where is heaven and where is hell? What is heaven and what is hell and how are they experienced? So he's like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I've been wondering about heaven and hell my whole life. So how do I get there? What are they even? You know, if you think you're, think of yourself being in that situation. And in his particular situation, this was a heaven and hell enthusiast. Yeah. I think the, that great scene in Jurassic Park, the first Jurassic Park, when you remember when they first see the giant dinosaurs. Have you seen Jurassic Park? I have. Yeah. It's okay. been many years. Yeah. Well, there's this first scene where they first see the gigantic sauropod oh, yeah. dinosaurs yeah. and it's one of the most cool scenes in, in cinema because I'm a dinosaur nerd myself or was as a little kid yep. and what makes part of what makes that scene so cool is that the people that are seeing those dinosaurs mm. they've studied extinct dinosaurs their whole lives and just imagined dinosaurs and what they could really be like so for them to look over and see it in the flesh it hits them just that much harder and so yes. this person you think they're saving up this weight. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking, I'm here. That's going to change the way they approach everything that follows. Yeah, but he doesn't even, it's not like it was suddenly apparent to him because he was in the spiritual world. He realizes, wait, I'm here, but what's, where is heaven and hell? Like, why aren't I just experiencing them? You know, like he's having to reflect on his experience. Yes, and they move in herds. That, sorry, that's Jurassic Park. They, they, they learn from the living dinosaurs. Oh, they do move in herds. They didn't know for sure. Yes. Okay. Turns out we're doing Jurassic Park. Okay. All right. Let me take There's over. There's so many parallels. <laughs> so, uh, so here's what, uh, this is what comes in right next. He was just saying, wondering to himself, and then heaven is above your head, the spirits replied, and hell is under your feet. So there's somehow these spirits that are around him that just answer his question and they go on and say you are now in the world of spirits which is midway between heaven and hell what heaven is what hell is and how they are experienced however is not something we can describe in a few words <laughs> <laughs> and so he says because he had a burning desire to know he threw himself to his knees and prayed devoutly to god to be taught 
and an angel immediately appeared at his right hand. And I love this because it means as soon as he prays, an angel appears. You know, like yeah. that 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 response rate is so immediate. Um, and Good the angel, service. Five, yeah. Spiritual 5G up there. Yes. <laughs> the angel lifted him up and said, you have prayed to be taught about heaven and hell. Investigate and find out what delight is and you will know. Upon saying this, the angel was raised up out of sight. So the recently arrived spirit then said to himself, what is this? Investigate and find out what delight is and you will know what heaven is, what hell is and how they are experienced. So he's sort of like, uh, okay. And that's it. Yeah. So he left there and traveled around. When he encountered people, he asked them, tell me if you would, please, what delight is. So first of all, it's like people think that when you die, you just immediately are going to like know what happens next. Next comparison, video games. There's a kind of video game called an on-rails game where you don't really control where you go in it. It just moves you forward. And you, if you've ever been at like a video arcade, you've probably seen a game like this where it's moving you forward. And so you have to like look around and shoot spaceships, but you don't choose where in the game you go. And I think a lot of people picture the afterlife as an on-rails experience. Like you're, you're being brought by some force to the next right place and the next right place. But here... It's like an open world adventure, which is another kind of video game where, no, it's you go somewhere and there's a there's a, a, a path for you, but it's not apparent. And you really do have to use agency to to get where you're going. Yes, exactly. So he has to actually have that kind of agency in what's happening. And I also love that he goes around and has to have the courage to just like strike up conversations with random people he finds. <laughs> <laughs> says like, tell me if you would please what delight is. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, yeah, and it's funny that he was bummed by the angel's answer, but obviously took it to heart because he's. I thought when you were reading that he was yeah. going to say, "Tell me what heaven and hell are." But he he believes the angel that it's about delight. So now he's looking for what is delight. Yeah, that's so interesting. He gets put on this mission, and so here's the responses he got. One, some said. What kind of question is that? Who doesn't know what delight is? It is joy and happiness. Delight is delight. One is like another. We are not aware of any differences. Hey, don't mock my question. That is verbatim from an angel. You're going to get in trouble for making fun of that question. (laughs) So he's like, all right, maybe I'm not going to listen to those people. The next people. (laughs) Others said, delight is the laughter of the mind. When our mind is laughing, our face is cheerful. Our speech is full of jokes. Our gestures are playful and our whole self embodies delight. I feel like that's a little bit, uh, I don't know. It's too it's narrow. not very clear. Yeah. It's not, I, I don't know if you use the scientific method to come up with that answer. Yes. So he keeps going. He's not satisfied yet. He gets to a third group and they say, I'll tell you what delight is. It's dining and eating delicacies, drinking and getting drunk on vintage wine, and then chatting about various topics, especially the games of Venus and Cupid. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, come on. Hello. This is, we're not talking about what are some things that are fun. We are talking about the nature, the philosophical nature of delight itself. Yes. So I'm afraid he's finding out that not everybody he meets, you know, just because you're a spirit in the spiritual world doesn't mean you have, you know that you really understand things. (laughs) Yeah, just a bunch of bums. Exactly. No. So, annoyed at this, the new spirit said to himself, 
These answers are crude and unsophisticated. The delights these spirits mentioned are not heaven and are not hell either. So that's nice. Give that to him. I wish I could meet some people with wisdom. So yeah, so he wants to find some wisdom people and realizes, you know, how you know, how is that going to happen? So he says he left the people he was with and asked around to learn where he might find people with wisdom. So I love it because his question changes. Now he's not like, oh, wait, I can't just ask anybody about what delight is. Uh, I need to find somebody who actually has wisdom first. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and he's he's being led down that process from what's heaven to what's delight to where is wisdom. And that's you can look at that as a progression and he could have just been taken on rails. Okay, first we're going to ponder this, then ponder this, then ponder this. But instead, by him taking that journey, he's engaging with it in this way that's alive and, and taking him, I would imagine, through the, the mental and emotional steps that you need to go on to be receptive to heaven. That's right. And it's so interesting that he is led sort of ever deepening and he's learning as he goes and engaging with people. Uh, And so that is where we're going to leave our newcomer for now. And so we can wonder, will he find, you know, spirits with actual wisdom? And how is he going to find them? Are they going to appear just like the angel did Uh, or something else? And so And really, will he ever get these answers he longs for? You know, will he find the wisdom and the understanding of heaven and hell that he's that he's after? So we'll continue our adventure in next week's podcast. Same bat time, same bat channel. That's right. (laughs) Same place, Jurassic Park. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) thanks, Curtis, for our first inaugural trip through Act One of A Spirit Story. And... Before we move on, I want to give a little announcement for our listeners that, you know, this week was the beginning of a new premiere time for us on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. We're now, if you've been there and you were maybe confused, we're releasing one video per week, and that happens on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And so the last Monday of every month is going to be our live Q&A extravaganza that you don't want to miss. And that one's going to be April uh, 26th for this month. And and so, but we'll be continuing. You'll have more of the podcast over this next quarter. And I'm excited about exploring a lot of fun topics in the coming weeks. So thank you so much, Curtis. My pleasure. And I look forward to catching up with you at the end of the show to see where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history. All right, it is time for the NCE Spotlight, and let's shine our spotlight now and go visit the desk of the NCE by hearing from Dr. Jonathan Rose. How are you doing? Doing well. So what what do you have for us today? I'm, you know, we always uh, just come on in, barge into your office in the middle of a work day and <laughs> hear what's on the table, so <laughs> you're well, so there were, kind. There were three sort of tidbits and 
that I encountered today in editing. This is mm-hmm. I was editing Genesis chapter 18 as Swedenborg discusses it in Secrets of Heaven. And um, it, it's the case when you're doing this kind of editing that you you want to make certain deadlines and goals. Let's read this by this time and all that. Mm-hmm. And then you just encounter these gems and you yeah. want to stop and ponder them. So I'm glad to have a chance to ponder them now. I can stop long enough to kind of capture it, but but um, they're just beautiful little things that you could yeah. fall into kind of thing. So one of them came up in Secrets of Heaven 2187, subsection 3. Uh, and all of them had to do with love and the Lord's love in particular. Mm-hmm. This says the tree of life is heavenliness itself. It was talking about the meaning of the tree of life, you know, the famous tree of life in, in the creation story in Genesis and also comes back at the end of Revelation. The tree of life is heavenliness itself and in the highest sense, the Lord himself, since he is the source of everything heavenly or in other words, of all love and charity. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a nice little shortcut that by heavenly, he doesn't you could think of all sorts of mysterious things that he might mean, but he means love and charity. And love, to my mind, means actual love when you're feeling it. Mm-hmm. And charity, to my mind, means treating somebody kindly, whether you're particularly in the mood at that moment or not. But um, it's a principled kind of uh, thoughtfulness and kindness to the neighbor. So in the book of Genesis, it talks about eating from the tree of life. And so Swedenborg explains this phrase. He says, eating from the tree of life then is the same as, can you imagine what it might be? (laughs) He used a a strange phrase here, feeding on the Lord. And feeding on the Lord is receiving the gift of love and charity. Wow, that that phrase kind of blew my mind. Hmm. So he finishes with one little sentence. So it is receiving the ingredients of heavenly life. Wow. I like that idea. You don't always have a consciousness. I hardly ever have a consciousness when I'm feeling loving or being kind to someone that I'm actually partaking of the tree of life. Or so I, I don't think of it that way. Yeah. Uh, well, but, and that also, but there it is. It reminds me of, you know, it wasn't last week, but, but the week before, uh, we did our show on how spiritual communion works and that whole idea of eating the Lord's flesh, that gives it a very different, you know, that puts it in a sort of, I can conceive of that, you know, that idea right. of really part having that love and charity absorbed into us through our life. Even though Swedenborg's work can feel repetitious sometimes, um, because they go over a lot of the same areas, you'll get these little gems that I don't ever remember him saying exactly that. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was cool. Yeah. Another one was in 2177. And in subsection 7 and 8, it just had a couple of mentions of reciprocal love with the Lord that I found striking. Mm. He uses two images here. One was one that you just raised. Uh, oh. One was an image from the tabernacle of the bread of presence. They had oh. these loaves that would sit out there all the time. 
they were they were always uh, on the right. table there. And then at the end of the week, Aaron and the priesthood would eat that bread, and fresh bread would be placed there. But there was always bread there. So he says the loaves of the bread of presence served as a constant representation of the Lord's love or mercy toward the whole human race and mm. of the love we return. That mm. last little bit just surprised me because I thought, yes, okay, that's the <laughs> yeah. Lord, love and mercy. But no, there's also love. It's going both ways. That wow. bread is a picture of love going both ways. And mm. then he talks about what you were just talking about, communion or the Eucharist, the Holy Supper. Uh, he speaks about that imagery of bread and wine. In reality, its holiness, the holiness of that you know, service of worship, that ritual, is such that it unites human minds to heavenly minds as mm. l- long as they think with deep affection about the bread and wine as symbols of the Lord's love and of the love we give back to him. So it did wow. it twice there in short order. And he adds, when human minds do this, they have a holiness from within. Mm. I just thought that was really, really beautiful in that sense of another image of what's reciprocal. I often think when, when I take that, uh, the Holy Supper, I'm just wanting to receive the Lord's love. And I forget about that idea of, of giving, you know? Yeah. Well, it's so, I mean, it's so interesting. I, I ran a small group for a while where we would take Holy Supper at the end of it, but it came on the at the end of a sharing group where people are really sharing about sort of like, you know, struggles that they're going through in their life. And and it really was this process of having it come at the end of that made it feel like we're not just doing this for ourselves. It's really like an acknowledgement of how we can be we can be, uh, you know, mirrors of the Lord's love for each other, you know, by being mm. loving witnesses to each other's process, you know, and knowing. Uh, anyway, there was like a, a cool sort of full circle feeling that that resonates with me with what you're saying in that way. Right. And isn't it true that in the original Last Supper, uh, I certainly, uh, I think Swedenborg says at one point that they were passing the ingredients to each other as you normally would in a, mm-hmm. in a sit-down meal, uh, you know, of that type. And um, so there's not just a, a connection with the divine, but also a sharing back yeah. and forth that's part of it, which I really love. Cool. And then there was uh, Secrets of Heaven... 2177 that had this simple thought, but it really struck me. It's talking about the grain offering. There were all these different offerings and sacrifices. And Mm. there was something called the grain offering, or I think in Hebrew, it's the mincha. And uh, that involved flour and oil, but it also had some frankincense in there. Mm. And you would burn it. And then the idea, it says in Leviticus that that would create this sweet smell, this sweet aroma that was restful for the Lord. It was pleasing to the Lord. Mm. And he gives this really short kind of soundbite explanation, but I loved it. Fire offerings for a restful smell symbolize the pleasure the Lord takes in anything involving love or charity. Wow, I thought that is so nice. I I sometimes get wow. tangled up thinking about how I don't know. I just imagine I 
smell spiritually really bad to angels or something. I don't know. You know, I, I have things in myself. When you look back at previous generations, there were thoughts and attitudes that they had that we now think are reprehensible. Like, oh, how could you? Yeah. But they didn't think about it. Well, what do we have in ourselves that that's actually reprehensible, but we, we just don't think about it? We don't have that consciousness yet. Mm. We're just working on the things we, we do know about. Yeah. But it seems so nice that the Lord just concentrates on the positive. And when there's anything involving love or charity, well, that was sweet. You know, the Lord is just, yes. oh, he can kind of just relax. There's this restful, that, that's what we need. Keep the human race going. If I can keep smelling oh. that, that love uh, from time to time, we're going to be all right. Oh, wow. That is so great. I feel so fed by getting to hear these three passages from you about that. Like that just, I feel a little bit like we're in your office kind of looking over your shoulder and you're pointing out the passages on the book. And uh, it's it totally shows how there are just, like you said, these gems hiding in little subsections that you might just, you know, breeze over. But I love getting to bring them out and let them and hear them, hear your thoughts from them because it, it really, I don't know, that just affects me deeply. It's very cool. I'm so glad to have a chance to share about it because otherwise you just have to move on to the next paragraph, you know, and you <laughs> yeah. don't always have time. You may think about it as you're going to sleep or something, but you don't always have time to, wait a minute, what did you say? That was beautiful, you know, and so yeah. it's fun to think about it with you. Yeah, and that's, I just, I'm going to be coming back to that in my mind over the, you know, the next day and days coming because, yeah, really, really cool idea. So thank you so much, Jonathan. Good fun. And so will you join me now and we'll meet up with Curtis to see where Swedenborg was this week in history? I'd be delighted. All right, let's go. Hey, Curtis and Jonathan. Hello. Hey there. So I, I have to admit, Jonathan, I feel a bit rude that we just, not only do we barge in week after week, but then we drag you out of your office and make you come on this little time traveling adventure with us. I'd never see the glowing day ball otherwise. <laughs> right. if, if you would just lift the moratorium on me entering your office, we could do it in your office. We wouldn't have to leave. <laughs> We know what trouble that would bring, though. We know what happened last time, Curtis. So a week ago for us was Easter, but this week in history pretty much was Easter as well for Swedenborg. But the actual day that we're going to is the day after Easter for Swedenborg in the year 1744. Mm. And that's meaningful because it just happens that Swedenborg, in this time when he's transitioning and having this, um, you know, his spiritual eyes opened and going through this interchange enough that he can be conscious of heaven as well as being conscious of life in this world, these turning points, at least a couple of turning points happen around Easter. It's just like this very rich, uh, it's time for him. And you even wonder, uh, Jonathan, like we were just talking about, if you know, it was common to take the Holy Supper at Easter time. And so was that sort of part of that sort of 
rich reflection he was having or this sense of connection with the Lord. Um, I don't I really know. I think so. Yeah, yeah I, it, because it does what he later says about the Holy Supper and its way of connecting us with the Lord and forging a partnership. Uh, it seems like he actually had that experience. So it's pretty amazing to be in the wake of that for Swedenborg in this year, 1744. And this is one of the major turning points in his spiritual awakening. So we, you know, it's been about six months for Swedenborg that he's been having what he calls preternatural sleep. And we explored some of that in episode 13 of the podcast. Um, And sort of before that was an earlier phase of his awakening that was really predominantly just intense dreams that he was having. But at this point, uh, you know, so just to sort of center us in time, here he is this Easter of 1744. And three months from this point is when he's going to have that see a fly where he has that sort of starting to see spiritually correspondential things in his waking day-to-day life. And we explored that in one of the really early podcast episodes. And then that's three, where that tradition yeah. of the Easter fly comes the from. The Easter fly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then three months after that, you know, so that was June. And then in September of 1744 is when Swedenborg's first addressed by a spirit. So this is before he's had, you know, he has a lot, he knows there's a lot of spiritual things going on, but he hasn't had that uh, sort of uh, the spiritual communication hasn't fully. Oh, happened yet in his in his life. But this is this turning point that seems to be setting him up for that. This is probably the most significant of any because it's in this turning point is when he has a face-to-face encounter with the Lord, uh, with Jesus Christ, and how, you know, absolutely powerful that must be for him. We're so lucky to have the Journal of Dreams where this is recorded uh, survive mm-hmm. because otherwise we wouldn't know anything about this experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's the only place that it's recorded in exactly this way. Mm. And so, um, and he writes about it at length in there, it pages and pages and pages about this experience. So it, it's a very powerful thing to read. Yeah. And I, that's good that you mentioned it because I wanted to say so that, yeah, this, this is in the Journal of Dreams. And it's numbers 49 and following. So there you go. It's like very early on uh, when he's writing this stuff. And we're not going to be able to go through all of it. So if if you're intrigued, you can find that, you know, and read it yourself because we do have this text that it it is extant. And, uh, and it is very intimate. And, and so in this account, it's also interesting to note that he... He writes April 6th to 7th, meaning like overnight, this is what happened. And he has N.B. written next to that uh, in the margin. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that means note bene in Latin, right? That's right. And note well. Note well. So like. So when he was going back over the manuscript, he could see it's like drawing an arrow or or something in the margin. Right. Or like when I'm writing any journaling, if it's like, oh, I want to remember this later, I might like draw a big star, you know, up in the corner or something next to it to be like, so I can exactly. flip back and find it quickly. So this is him noting to self, like, this was important. I don't want to forget this. 
So on this day, earlier in the day of April 6th, the day after uh, Easter, he's actually in Amsterdam. And he remarks that he spent this lovely day in Delft in Amsterdam. I haven't been. I'm sure it's lovely. Uh, But part of why it was so lovely is he said that he feels like he was kept in this deep spiritual thought all day, uh, you know, like he had never been before. And so he's just coming home from this, you know, wonderful day out. I don't know what he was doing, wandering around in Delft. And he goes back to wherever he's staying and he's spends his evening reading the Bible. It's interesting. I'm not going to like go through this part exactly, but he's grappling with the text because he thinks that he's, he reflects to himself that he's grappling or like struggling so much with the literal sense of it that uh, he feels like he's even sort of questioning his faith. And this, this is uh, maybe the beginning of him coming into contact with a core dynamic of the actual God he's going to meet because I just was for a news from heaven episode. I was just recording. There's this angel who's giving this big, long speech about what the soul is. And this is a a highly esteemed angelic professor. And at the end of it is the speech is given to spirits and angels. And at the end of it, it's Swedenborg writes, some of the people thought this was great. And then others said, well, we need to think about this and left. So, so even that that questioning, even stuff from a very reputable source about how could this work, seems to be not you know tolerated and encouraged even in heaven. So he's getting a first glimpse of it here. That's right. Yes. So he does. He calls this another sort of temptation. Like so, he sort of feels like it's kind of being a downer for this really nice day he had. <laughs> but so then here's where I'll pick up. He says he writes. At 10 o'clock, I went to bed and was somewhat better. Half an hour after, I heard a noise under my head. I thought that the tempter was then going away, meaning he felt like he was doing this, having this struggle earlier in the evening. Straight away, there came over me a shuddering, so strong from the head downwards and over the whole body with a noise of thunder. And this happened several times. I found that something holy was upon me. I then fell into a sleep, and at about twelve, one or two in the night, there came over me a strong shuddering from head to foot, and a thundering noise as if many winds beat together, which shook me. It was indescribable and prostrated me on my face. Then, at the time I was prostrated, at that very moment I was wide awake, and I saw that I was cast down. Wondered what it meant, you know, he wondered what it meant. And I spoke as if I were awake, but found nevertheless that the words were put into my mouth. And this is what he says he said. And oh, almighty Jesus Christ, that thou of thy so great mercy deignest to come to so great a sinner, make me worthy of thy grace. I held together my hands and prayed, and then came forth a hand which squeezed my hands hard." Straight away thereupon I continued my prayer and said, Thou hast promised to take to grace all sinners. Thou canst nothing else than keep thy word. At that same moment, I sat in his bosom and saw him face to face. It was a face of holy mane. 
and in all it was indescribable, and he smiled so that I believed that his face had indeed been like this when he lived on earth. He smiled. He spoke to me and asked if I had a clear bill of health. I answered, Lord, thou knowest better than I. Well, do so, he said. That is, as I found it in my mind to signify, love me in reality, or do what thou hast promised. God, give me grace thereto. I found that it was not in my power. Wakened with shudderings. So, so, you know, he's not even writing in full sentences. He's just, you know, recounting this. And there's so much in there. First of all, I love that the Lord smiled, you know, at him. And, And I also love that there was this sense of, you know, a simplicity of words, you know, <laughs> like Swedenborg's maybe praying and using all these words, even though he feels like they're being put in his mouth. And then the Lord is just saying, do so, you know, just do this thing. Right. Uh, yeah. And he takes it to mean, love me in reality and do what you've promised. I'm so interested that he asks, in some ways, a challenging question, like, do you have a clean bill of health? But um, and there was a time when he got in a lot of trouble. I believe he was even on death row for a period of time for jumping quarantine uh, right. back when he was younger. Much younger, yeah. And it seems as though here's the Lord smiling away and mm. asking him, do you have a clean bill of health? Like he knows it's sort of the way Jesus does with Thomas when he knows that Thomas is doubting. Mm. And he just says, go ahead, put put your fingers in the wounds. You know, I know you need to check this out. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way where, uh, you know, sort of a suggestive or you wonder how, you know, almost like a, not an inside joke, but like the way that <laughs> what things get said to us in dreams sometimes, and I can only imagine more so if it's like the Lord, like, He's saying something that, like, goes straight to your heart, you know, and you get it or whatever. Right. Immediately after this, he says, you know, he, he was wakened with these shudderings. And then he says he falls into a state of thoughts where he's not sleeping or awake. And I feel like I totally know that zone where you're like, you're not really fully asleep, but you're really not awake. But you're just sort of stuck in sort of, parent, you know, just constant thoughts. Um, and he struggles with comprehending what just happened to him and even thinking is this okay for him to really believe that it was the lord you know he's he's uh processing that you know having had this really intense encounter and so he prays and more of these shudderings come over him which he's had happen before uh through the preternatural sleep over the past 6 months and he says he's finally able to fall asleep with his mind focused on God. And so there's this sweet thing at the end of the account where he says, to forget nothing, it came also into the thoughts that the Holy Spirit would show me to Jesus and present me to him as a work that he had so prepared, and that I thought by no means to attribute anything to myself, but that all is his, although he of grace imputes to us the same. And he says, so I sang the hymn I then selected, and it's written in Swedish, Jesus er min vänden besta, 
which means Jesus is my best of friends. And it's so sweet that after this whole encounter, he just needs to sing this hymn to himself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that he just sings himself a song. Yep. Like that is so sweet. And it just a note, this hymn is part of the Swedish hymn book that is still today, I think, being used in the Swedish Lutheran church. And it's number 245. So it's a, this hymn book that came out very early on in, in Swedenborg's life so that he would have sung. It's like one of these hymns that he's known since he was a kid. And and so he's going through this intense experience when he's, what, 55 or something. And, uh, and just, you know, he just has to sing himself a song. <laughs> I love that. And I don't think he would have imagined um, as a, you know, a... a intellectual in in Europe, a scientist, that he would go through any experience that would cause him to start singing childhood songs about how Jesus is my Mm. best friend. Yeah, right. It it underscores um, the importance of the survival of Journal of Dreams that Dr. Rose mentioned before, because just him saying, describing this experience and talking about how Jesus gives him everything. Now you can read Swedenborg's published works where he talks about everything, all goodness and truth that we have come from the Lord. But to understand how viscerally real that was to him helps mm. color in the text. Mm. It's so true. And that, I mean, it is interesting to note that, yeah, this account never makes it into one of his published theological works. Clearly it was precious to him, but it wasn't, you know, seems like it was very personal. He wasn't going to share it later publicly, you know, but, but, and yet it makes all the difference or not all the difference, but it is just so powerful for us to be able to have it because like you say, you get how real all of this was for him. There's also an aspect that in his descriptions, you can still see the sort of Lutheranism. He, he's not mm-hmm. already kind of having the later theological thoughts that he will have. It seems that he's thinking about the Holy Spirit as separate from Jesus and Jesus separate from God the Father. Um, but he's attaching to Jesus in a very powerful way. And later, mm. not that much later, we talked about it in another podcast, but later— That's right you know, a couple, three years later, he he realizes, oh, that is the only God, you know, and he lets go of his former beliefs about that. But it's a very touching scene. And it's not that this appearance just sort of drives all doubt from his mind. He's wondering, do you think that was really him? He even says yeah. that he, he looked the way that he looked in the world. You know, that's what he thought. Yeah. How do you know? Based on paintings or I, I don't know what, but he... Yeah, but he right. has that thought that he that he kind of recognizes him and yet still doubts, well, maybe just spirits are fooling with me. He cites a scripture that you have to prove the spirits and all that. And yet he comes around to the point of thinking, no, it's a sin to doubt it. That was him. Mm. It's very cool. And it gives such amazing, yeah, texture to his whole experience. So it's really such a precious thing that we get to 
that we can be here sitting and reading and talking about it. You know, uh, oh gosh, can I do the math? 200 and... <laughs> Something with a seven on it. <laughs> 70, no, 80, whatever, years later. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you, Curtis and Jonathan. It is always a pleasure to talk to you both. Thanks for having us. That is so much fun. Yeah, let's do it again next week. We're going to be closing out each new episode with a Swedenborg-inspired song. If you have a Swedenborg-inspired song you'd like us to share, you can email us at offthelefteye at gmail.com. So you can submit your song that way. And if you give us permission, we'd love to showcase your Swedenborg-inspired music. But first, I want to say, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. And you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it to never miss when a new episode comes out. And you're the best audience a podcast could ever have. So I mean it when I say thank you for listening. So for this first one, it seems poignant and relevant for this first Swedenborg-inspired song to be a rendition of the very song he sang to himself that morning after his intense spiritual encounter with the Lord. And so as I mentioned, this song is a hymn from the Swedish Lutheran hymn book, and hymn number 245 is Jesus is My Best of Friends. So Jonathan Rose recorded the keyboard and This is me singing the vocals, and it's translated from the Swedish into English. And it's really just amazing to think of this song being the one that came to Swedenborg's mind to sing to himself that day in April in 1744. You know, if you had that experience yourself, what would be the song you would have sung, you know, in the wake of such a transformative moment? So... I'm Chelsea Odner, and I look forward to being with you next time we're inside off the left eye. But until then, here's Jesus is my best of friends. Enjoy the music. Jesus is my friend, most precious. No one else does love as he Should I leave this friend so gracious Spurn his wondrous love for me No, not friend nor foe shall sever me From him who loves me so His shall be my will shines out from his face who can from my savior draw me i am safe in his embrace hide nor depth nor fear nor favor shall divide me Christ makes me